Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and happy new year. Welcome to the first Ranks FC episode of 2022. We hope that your Christmas and festive periods were special and that your new year celebrations were enjoyable too. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today as we head into a bright new dawn. Joining me as ever, Sir Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. It is day eight in a row of singing the Encanto theme song, theme track from the new Disney film that was released on Christmas Eve, and it is driving me round the bend. Well, it doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you're having a really good time. Uh, and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones, in his favourite time of the year. Hello, mate. Yeah, it's day four of the transfer window and a new year. So happy new year, everybody, and happy new transfer window. Here we have it. Here we have it. It's um, look. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about this January, right? And today we're going to be talking about Afcon, and we've got Sir Joe Cran joining us to help us work through some of the mini rankings around the tournaments, the favourites, the underdogs, the wild cards, um, and some of the best stories around it as well. So can't wait to have Joe in a little bit later. But before we do that, let's start off with the first things we love of 2022. And Dean, why don't you kick us off? What better way to start this year than the return of Phil Jones? What a feel-good story this was. Uh, nice um, this sets a really nice tone for, you know, we've all had a rubbish time um, during the pandemic. And in the last 700 days or so, while we've all been living through it, well, Phil Jones has too, but he also hasn't played <laughs> any football and has had to battle his way through two knee injuries, which, to be honest, could have broken most players out there. Um the game against Wolves on Monday was his first, as I say, in almost two years. And I think he deserves so much credit because he's been ridiculed both online and in person. And he revealed recently that someone in the street even came up to him and called him shit in front of his own child. Now, not only that, online he's constantly turned into a meme. And whilst, you know, it can seem funny at the time, like this stuff is extremely hard to deal with. He's a human being. and when paired with the challenge of the physical battle he's been going through as well, one of the biggest clubs in the world, he's admitted himself. He used to come home from training in tears. Like he's really, really had a time of it. But here he was at Old Trafford lining up alongside Raphael Varane. Now this is what Alex Ferguson envisaged in 2011. Like we, we're like over 10 years late with this, but it happened. Like Phil Jones and Varane were there alongside each other at the heart of Man United's defence. Um, Obviously, Fergie didn't manage to sign Varane back then. But look, this time around, like Phil Jones was thrown in there. We we're all waiting to see what happened. And you know what? He did really, really well. From the first ball we had to clear, there was a sigh of relief and a cheer around Old Trafford as, as he managed to uh, clear his first header and, and complete his first pass. And it's because everybody genuinely wanted him to do well. The fans are singing his name. Um, I know that like... I, th I think it's actually appalling, but some, a couple of outlets were um, saying Phil Jones' error uh, leads to Wolves' winner. Um, I just find that really ridiculous. It's to be really harsh, isn't it's it? It's so and harsh. I... Like he's cleared the ball, he's done his job. Who hasn't done his job was whoever the midfielder was. It might have been Bruno Fernandes, to be honest, who wasn't picking up Moutinho on the edge of the box as he scores the winner 
eight minutes from time. It, it might. It, you could. You could maybe maybe push to say that he could potentially head it a little bit wider. That's the only thing. But if a keeper pun- look, we we saw Quivin Kelleher right punch the a corner out of the weekend, and Mateo Kovacic hit one of the best yeah. goals I've ever seen. You mm. know, off his, off his own. Is that Kelleher's fault? No. <laughs> so is it is it is it Phil Jones's fault that the Matinho goal? Absolutely not. No. It's absolutely it, it, not. And we, what we should be giving him credit for actually is right at the end of the game, the balls United are trying to get an equaliser, and Phil Jones sticks his head somewhere where he knows it could potentially really hurt him because he knows he's going to win his team a free kick if he can go into the challenge. The player's going to lift his foot up high. Phil Jones just needs to put his face in front of his boot. He's good at this kind of stuff and he's done it and United got the free kick and Fernandez almost scored it to give United a draw. And look, that bravery is something United lack. I think there are a lot of players in this team that should have been looking at Phil Jones's performance, Phil Jones's character and be thinking to themselves, I need to sort myself out here because there are too many players underperforming, too many players feeling sorry for themselves. And I think that they need a, a bit of this this Phil Jones resilience in themselves. United fans cheered him off at the end. They sung his name all night. There haven't been too many United players that have earned that kind, kind of credit in recent times. So it's a new year and hopefully this is a new turn for Phil Jones. And I really do hope that it is him turning the corner. Even if it's just him earning himself a move, right? Oh, totally. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind what it is. Necessarily... Yeah, that's, that's fine. I just, you know, he's not even 30 yet. He's got time to do this. Like if his body can hold out, if he can ease his way back into game time, there's a good player inside there. And I really hope we see it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, Sam, what's your thing we love? Well, I'm taking inspiration from the exact same game. Uh, but <laughs> as is often the case between Dean and I, we are falling on opposite sides of the coin because the thing I love this week is Bruno Lage. Uh, and I just find him to be one of the most engaging managers in the Premier League to listen to. Uh, and to hear interviewed and the relative honesty of some of his post-match conferences, the fact that he's willing to delve into the tactical details of what he wants to do, I really enjoy for obvious reasons. There was an excellent piece on Sky Sports a couple of months ago by Adam Bate, uh, where he talked to Bruno Lage after maybe five or six games uh, into his Wolves tenure about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to shape the team. And Bruno Lage was really detailed in his assessment yeah, really forthcoming. of... Yeah, really forthcoming in how he spoke about, well, I've inherited this, I want to implement that, these are the players that work for this, these are the players that don't work for that, I can't put this in here. And it's just, it's just very clearly thought out. His ideology is very clear. And I really appreciate that because basically we, we, we entertain a game of total smoke and mirrors from managers most of the time. And Bruno Lage, if you're asking the right question, he'll give you a really thoughtful answer. And after the game against Manchester United, he went into relative detail, about a minute and a half, on his game plan to try and beat Man United and explained to the interviewer that it basically tried to find out where the space would be against Manchester United to determine that it would depend on where the fullbacks are and at what stage of the attack United are in, because that's, that will determine the positioning of the fullbacks. And then asked his players to recognise those scenarios and drop into the spaces in and around those fullbacks or behind them if they've pushed forward in order to find the space to play out. It's not rocket science. In fact, finding space is the basics of football. But just having a, uh, a manager who can talk about that and then also speak to him to speak to in a very engaging way is very refreshing. And I can't help but think that Bruno Lage is a manager that I personally would love to play for because I find him very engaging. I would listen to everything he says. And I would enact everything he asked me to do. You definitely can't say that about everybody, right? Some people rub you up the wrong way. Some people you're not inspired by. And I find he ticks all of those boxes. So funnily enough, at the moment, it's Bruno Lage that I'm loving. 
Okay. Yeah, well, I think it's I think it's really interesting. That interview, as you say, and then talking about the fullbacks in, in kind of exquisite detail was was a really beautiful, beautiful thing to to kind of hear as someone who tries to analyze the game, I suppose, mm. and trying to understand where you're, you know, where he's coming from, what they're trying to achieve, and uh, all the best. So yeah, I completely agree with you. You can see why this Wolf side are, are very much engaging with his methods mm, um, and why they've been so good, um, which leads me to our final we love and i am going to leave england as usual um i am going to italy where i want to talk very briefly about two transfers that happened yesterday um and they are jonathan Acone to fiorentina and michael cuisance to venezia um, i like these two transfers so Acone went for about 14 million euros um, from Lille to Fiorentina. Um, and Mikael Cuisance went for about 4 million euros um, from Bayern Munich to Venezia. Now, two different ends of the spectrum, two ends of the table, but two transfers I really like. And Akone, we'll start with. And I think Fiorentina have been really good this season. We've talked about them a lot. They've been really improved under Vincenzo Italiano. But on the right-hand side, Jose Callahan has struggled a little bit. We're starting to see kind of the turn. He refuses to, to drive forward in the way that we used to watch him uh, at Napoli. Um, and uh, I think when, when you look at what, Fiorentina have lacked this side. It really has been any sort of threat from that right-hand side. Nico Gonzalez has come in when he's played on the left and, and Ricardo Sotil is a, is a lovely kind of cover on both sides, but probably not quite there yet. Sam's shaking his head because once upon a time, Ricardo Sotil smashed Sam's sunglasses with a football um, when we were playing <laughs> when we were playing keepy-uppies with the Fiorentina team. I don't um, forget. I yeah, don't Sam, forgive. Sam never forgives. Um, but Sotil's a lovely kind of squad player coming through, a real good rotator, but probably not quite there yet to hold it down completely on his own. Kone comes in, offers real goal threat and, and dynamism on that side. And a front three, I think if, if Vlavic stays this window at the very least, of uh, Gonzalez, Vlavic and Akone as, um, it is as good and as exciting as pretty much any in that kind of area of the table that Fiorentina are looking to attack. So uh, I think that this is the, if this clicks, it could be the thing that drives Laviola back into Europe. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think Akone is a really good player and uh, I think he's going to thrive in Serie A. Now you go down to the other end of the table and Venezia have impressed a lot of people, I think, this season. They're 16th. They are six points clear of the relegation zone currently. Um, but and they'll look at that and think that's not safe as houses. You know, Genoa, Cagliari, we've seen these teams in these problem places before and managed to, to get their way out of it. And they've brought in Mikel Cuisance, who I think is a really interesting footballer. Now, it feels like we've been talking about Cuisance forever, right? But he's only 22. Um, and obviously he had that breakthrough season at Gladbach and when he was 18, 17, um, and came came through and was really, really good, especially in that second season. And won player of the year, I think, then signed for Bayern Munich. And from then, it's been basically pretty weird. He's He's made almost no appearances. I think it's 16, maybe, across all competitions in three years at, at Bayern. Um, he signed on loan for Marseille for about nine months. And I thought he was pretty good. Uh, 20, sort of 25 odd appearances. He scored a couple of goals um, and, and I liked his spell at Marseille. I thought it showed that there was definitely still a player in there. And I think this is a nice move. I think it's an interesting one. I think he'll suit Serie A again uh, and will really add some some kind of talent and, and 
well, bolster that midfield for Venezia where they felt a little bit light, I suppose, across the course mm. of the season. So it's a chance for him to show why he was so highly regarded, to force himself back into the conversation of of why players, you know, some players have a little bit of an off spell. They don't, it doesn't work out. And he'll look at someone like, I suppose, Renato Sanz, who obviously went to Bayern Munich, it didn't work, had a couple of loan spells, didn't quite go to plan. And then obviously reimagined himself at Lille and, and kicked on to become you know, a top centre midfielder again. I imagine that Cuisance is looking to do the same here. And I think this might just be a good spot for him to remind everyone why he was so highly rated in the first place. So, yeah. Yeah, nice. No, uh, no, no guarantees when you sign for Bayern Munich as a youngster. Uh, in order to get through the door, you have to be absurdly, absurdly talented. And then you still need an awful lot of things to go your way to really make an impact. And we've seen players over the years, like Nicholas Dorsch is, is one at Augsburg, who's now sort of ripping things up a little bit. But, you know, once came through at Bayern Munich, didn't make the grade. Mark Rocker signed not that long ago. Hasn't really been seen very much. Probably injuries have a part to play in that. If you re- believe all the reports... And there are a lot of reports on this. Cuisance's um, uh, application has been questioned and may need to rejig a few things in order to truly realise his potential. But the best thing really is that he's out of there and he gets to turn over a new leaf because I think it had gone totally, totally stale. And for Venezia to pick up a really, well, just another player with a huge, like, a huge ceiling really in terms of talent, that's really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Their recruitment of Venezia has been really interesting, mm. I think. And, and and they've been very much a side to watch both on and off the pitch this season. So, yeah, exciting times for Serie A. Two big signings there. Two two clever signings for teams that feel like they, they will fit perfectly. So mm. I'm excited about seeing how those ones pay off. Uh, and with that, I think it's time for us to move on to our main ranking. So after the break, we're going to be bringing in Joe Cran to talk all things AFCON. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. We're delighted to announce a very special guest, Mr. Joe Cran, football journalist and adopted South African, here to talk us through all things AFCON. And Joe, one, welcome to the show. And two, I've got to start with South Africa, who seems to, fail to qualify. <laughs> <laughs> seems to fail to qualify every time at the moment. Yeah, South Africa's, um, yeah, it's in a difficult place at the minute. It's been, you know, it's been a tough what, 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> um, you know, obviously South Africa got, they won the AFCON back in 96. And since then it's been, it's been hard going really. Aside from a couple of, couple of blips. This year's just, I think the one about this, this qualification was just, you know, it was miserable. It it just kind of felt like they, they'd made, they, they were taking some baby steps and getting closer to where they needed to be. And then they didn't qualify for the AFCON. Then the whole thing happened with Ghana now with the qualification for the World Cup and it's like, right, okay, cool, we're back here again. (laughs) Mm. We're doing this one again, are we? (laughs) Well, at least our guest is impartial. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely impartial, yeah. No choice. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Joe, we get to start off and we're going to do a couple of mini kind of rankings as as, as ever. And we're going to start off with just probably your three, three favourites for the tournament and, and those sort of tips to, to win the whole thing because there's some really strong sides this year. And Joe, just before you begin, sorry, just to may, may throw you off, but we'd like them three to one, please, to build a crescendo. Oh, right. We're going backwards. Excellent. Rank them three okay. to one. Right. F- right. Number three, then I'm going Morocco. Morocco, I think... They've had a ridiculous um, couple of years, really. Uh, I think the I wrote some stats down about them because it's it's pretty crazy. Like they they last won it in nineteen seventy six, which is mad because Morocco were a side that you know they've had some really good players over the years, 
you look at some of the players they've got now, Hakimi and Nejri, Sais, all these guys, and they're a side that have put a really, really good run together. I'm not putting them favourites. Obviously, we'll we'll get there later. But I, I just think with the side that they've got, they've they've got enough in this in this tournament to to really go all the way if things sort of click for them. They've got a really good defensive record. I think they conceded once um, throughout the entirety of World Cup qualifying, which they've just done. And I just think that they've got a side that, um, if nothing else, are just going to be very, very difficult to beat. Yeah, I've got no no Ziyech, no Ziyech in the squad, right? Uh, yeah, called yeah. Him up. He's a he's he's not really flavour of the month. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had a bit of a fallout. They, they didn't like his 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 application and that kind of thing. So I mean, it's it's you know it's crazy when you look at a a player like that. You know, we've all seen a lot of of him, and uh, I. So a friend of mine, Kamahil Mokocho, used to play for for Twente with him in in Holland and he just said Ziyech was he said it was insane the stuff that he would do in training and, and the things that he would do on a football pitch he said he was just remarkable so to see how he's gone you know moving up the ranks from Ajax to Chelsea and the fact that they can pick a side and still to be doing as well as they are without him there I think says a lot about where they're at to be honest yeah who's the the key man is it Hakimi is it that obvious I think so. I think Nezri's been, he's been a big player for them for a long time. But yeah, I think you look at someone with Akime who's, you know, he's a he's a FIFA 22 cheat code, but also a real life <laughs> cheat code. Um, you know, just when you've got that kind of pace, I think the, the thing is with players that have got that kind of pace, he, any mistake that he makes, he can he can make up for it. He has the opportunity to make up for it. And, and aside from that, he's just a generally good footballer as well. <laughs> It's that double whammy, isn't it? I mean, there's some some really interesting players here, and and obviously a lot of people will be talking about you know, old Sofian Buffal, who who was kicking around for has been for a long time and has had an excellent year on share. But I like Elias Chair, and I like that as a you know a kind of rotating partnership, I suppose, in, in that kind of ten slot. The fact that they have those two options, they can change things around, and and then behind them that kind of Imran loser slash Eamon Barcock slash. Amrabat partnership that they can just sort of use as as a pivot. And given all things considered, this seems like a team with real depth, I think. And and this Morocco side, you know, looking at it on paper, it seems to have like a good level of depth in the right places as well, up front, centre midfield. They're the places where you're looking at, as well as that kind of, as you say, Roman Seiss and that kind of leadership at the back that that we know there's already there. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think that's what you need in the tournament because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what kind of injuries you're going to get. And you know we've seen, you know we've seen with England over the years how much, how much sort of emphasis can be put on one player. Then that player gets injured, and you think, all right, well that's you know that's a waste of time now. Whereas Morocco don't seem to have that issue. They've got players all over the pitch who can come in for other people. And I think I think it was something crazy like they scored twenty goals in six games um, yeah. during the qualifying for the World Cup. Um, just blitzed away through that. And yeah, I just think they're a, they're a side that, like I say, if nothing else. They're, they're going to be very, very difficult to beat. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Who's in it too then, Joe? Senegal. Senegal, um, I, to be honest, I just want, I really want Cissé to win something. You know, he's been put under pressure now. They've they've obviously, they, they did well at the last AFCON. Uh, they've got some ridiculous players in there again, you know, Sadio Mane, Koulibaly. They've got some some top top players in that Senegalese side. Now they have just put some extra pressure on him. I, I heard today that they basically Cisse has been told he's on his bike if they don't win it this year. 
so not, <laughs> nothing like a little bit of pressure there. Always healthy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing like putting a bit of pressure on two days before, well, a few days before the <laughs> tournament starts. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Senegal have just, yeah, they've, they've got a really good squad now. Um, again, talk, talking there about depth, Jack, I think Senegal are in a similar situation. They've got a lot of, lot of players there that can cause problems. They've got the best African goalkeeper in the world, um, you know, a player, well, one of the, arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the minute with Mendy. Uh, and, I, and I think that they're, they're a side that there's a lot, it, it's it's crazy when you look at Senegal because you think, you know, think about what we've seen from Senegalese teams over the years and the players we've seen. And they've never won it before. You know, they've, they've never won the AFCON. And I think that that is, there's, there's obviously, a, the, when you have a generation with players like Sadio Mane in it, that expectation comes with it of, you know, now we need to win something. This is our year. This is our golden era. We saw that yeah. with the Ivory Coast, right? Uh, yeah, the drug the Ayatori era. They were almost crippled by that exact same expectation. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the, them as, as individuals and you think, how is this team not winning anything? And I think that it's a similar thing now with, with Senegal. You have got that same, um, that same sort of attitude. And they, they, they had really good qualifiers as well this, this time around. Um, they didn't lose a single game. I think one of the, about three teams who didn't lose a, a game in qualifying. Um, and they only conceded twice as well. So, yeah, they've got a good manager. Uh, I really like CC. It'd be interesting to see what happens if he does move on. You know, to see where where he goes next because he's got a bit of, you know, European pedigree because of where he spent a lot of his career playing. So it'd be interesting to see if he sort of delves into European management uh, when when the time comes, if he doesn't win this tournament. Yeah, or if he does. Or if he does, yeah. If he just goes, all right, you were going to sack me, I'll walk. Thanks very much. Well, yeah, this is, yeah. Build me a statue, I'll see you later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose the first time round as well, it makes a lot of sense. From like I a mean, general but, fan's point of view as well, I mean, Senegal is the team that I guess a lot of people will make sure they watch their games because it's probably one of the more recognisable teams in terms of a 1-11, to 11, is it? In terms of European football? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at your Manes and your Mendes and your Koulibaly's and yeah, they've got a lot of players who are in and around the top clubs in the world. And, I, you know, I think it's, I always find it interesting with the AFCON, you know, it's the, because there's no European team to support, people just gravitate to whoever their players play for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 you'll literally get like, Liverpool well, you say that, Joe. Uh, there'll be some Liverpool fans who are pretty, pretty hopeful that Egypt get knocked out of the groups. <laughs> fair, fair, yeah, um, yeah. I think they could, uh, they could do with that, that, that winger there's back at some point, wouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, either, either or, I think, it's, uh, at some point. Um, interesting one with Ismail Assar in that he seems to be going to the Senegal camp in order to have an injury assessed, which, I, I mean, is, is a little bit odd. It's a, it's I, I, a new I think one. It's, I think it's justified. My, I will always err on the side of the African nations here because I think, you know, we've seen, so Ian Wright talking about really well the other day, and I, I do think that the AFCON is, is incredibly disrespected as a tournament. Oh, agreed. And and I think that there's look there's there's obviously a lot to there's a lot to discuss. There is very much an argument for it's a very awkward time of year. The the timing of the tournament makes it difficult for the teams, um, makes it difficult for the players as well because they they cho- they have to pick. You know they they basically have to put pressure on their clubs or they have to let down the nation. And I think it's a it's it's not a nice situation for them to be put in. Can you but, in question uh, like why why is it played in January? Weather. Um, so, so there's a few, yeah, weather's one of them. Um, so like for instance, Cameroon now, it's the, if, if we were to have it in the summer, in our yeah. summer, you know, it's the rainy season. Yeah. So they, they just have the, they, are, they don't have the infrastructure to deal with it. Fair enough. So if, if, if the games flood, 
the game's flood. You know, there's no, <laughs> yeah, there's, no, no getting, <laughs> there's no getting away from it. And then yeah. the, 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 historically, there was also situations with um, with league seasons. So they'd have calendar year seasons rather than than ours, which you know ends in May. Theirs would be effectively January December. Mm. So that was it was sort of end of the end of the, the calendar year. But it's been a bit all over the place ever since the start. Afcon. It's been played in December. It's been played in January, February, March. It's been played in June. The last Afcon was played in June. And I think there is that sort of a a realization that that they need to sort of adapt when they can. But I think that's that's what it should be for me. It should be on their terms. Yeah. So sure. if, if 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 Africa as a continent can can say right, we're going to play it in June because where where it's being hosted can do it in June. Great, that that suits everybody. But if it can't, you can't let a a, a different continent dictate to you know Africa where when and where their game should be played, because mm. um, ultimately they've got to look after their own, and you know that's the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Imagine if there was a, a Euros in in Russia, and they were like, "No, you have to have it in the, in the winter because it's." Uh, you'd be like, "Well, no." Imagine a World yeah, Cup. Exactly. In the, yeah, imagine a World Cup in the World winter. In- <laughs> yeah, it'd be a horrible idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I just meant in terms of that, Joe. That it's a mad one for someone to go and have. Uh, an injury assessment when they when they get there, rather than it was. We don't trust them. It's a, it's a really strange kind of funny it, one. It's just it's literally. I saw it in South Africa a few times. You know, the a European team will say, "Yeah, the guy can't make it for this qualifier. He can't make it for this game. He's got an injury," and they'll be like, "Prove it." Yeah. Has has he got an injury? Or do you just not we want did, him to come and play for We did this with England us? at one point, didn't we? We had our players go to St George's Park in order to be sent home again. I mean. Now, it's not as far as Watford to Senegal. Um, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Gerard and a couple of other players were ruled it's out injured. Now. Yeah, it's cart- carted to a medical, confirmed injured and driven back. Even I mean, you we can understand don't- it from both sides, can't you? Because like from Watford's point of view, like they obviously don't want Sar to go because like they're in a relegation battle. And if he did go and does get injured again, then that's them in big trouble. But ultimately... For the player, you can't put him in that predicament. And if he's fit and he wants to play, he could be able to play for his country. And that's that's why it's fair that he does go out there and they can assess him. And then, you know, they can go from there and make a, they can make a decision in a room together in Senegal or wherever. Without, from without someone from Watford, yeah, yeah, looking over yeah, his yeah. shoulder going, oh, exactly. do you think you should stay, mate? Yeah. <laughs> that's, fair. that's really not fair. Yeah. What, Watford, have, uh, Watford are losing a lot of players uh, to this tournament, even without Ismail Assad potentially not going. Um, so Watford will probably be like, well, hang on a minute, you know, Imran Lauza, he's off. And they were ready to say goodbye to Emmanuel Dennis at one point. Uh, not going to happen anymore. So they feel they probably feel like they're doing their bit and they're probably looking after their player. And, and there's just a deep, deep level of distrust between pretty much everybody in football. Yeah, I think, look, there's been cases in the, in, in the past. I, I know of, without naming any names, I know of players who've gone and signed for clubs in Europe and they've basically been told we'll give you a, we'll give you a 18 month contract uh, and you can keep playing for your nation or we'll give you four years and you, you call it time you know you retire from international football <laughs> that's ridiculous you know that 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 is that is the level that, that it, it's gone yeah, to with that, that. Yeah. um and i think the other thing the other thing you have to sort of deal with is from a from a player perspective they they want to play for their nations and yeah and if they why don't wouldn't, why wouldn't they that's the highest exactly. honor in football right yeah. that's that's what it should be about yeah, yeah, and and I think I just think it's really sad that we've you know we've got to this point. But another thing that I don't think helps, I and it, it's in line with what we're talking about with World Cups now. I, I think the Afcon's too regular. I think it takes away. I, take, I think it takes away the prestige of being the K 
kings of Africa. Do you know what I mean? Like, you you know, you play every two years and, and not only from a, a prestige level, I, I think it also makes life difficult for, for African footballers. You know, they're looking at making, they want to make that big move. They want to make that shift to, to the big clubs in Europe. But in the back of their minds, the clubs are going, well, we're gonna, we might lose them every two years for a, for a really important part of the season. And then they go, yeah, maybe we'll go for that other guy who's not from Africa instead. And and that's sad. You know, that is a that's a sad realization for for the players who want to make that shift. So for me, I the ideal situation, and I say this as a a white non-African, so my my opinion has to count. Um, but you know, it's a, it's um, no. I think it, yeah. For me, it, if we can have a situation where it's every four years, so it, it's not as it's not as impactful on on those players, um, but also have it in a situation where if it suits the continent that they can have it in the, the, the European summer. Cause I think it is, it's a, it's a fair compromise if they can afford to do it. And it's not, you know, if it doesn't affect the, the actual quality of the tournament. Just in terms of like competitive football and, and all of those, if the World Cup was in the summer this year, we've basically went straight through last year, right? In, in many ways, because the season didn't really end and there was lots of things going on. And then there was uh, there was international qualifications. Obviously, there's the World Cup qualification happening. And then it gets to January and you do AFCON and then it gets the summer and then suddenly it could be chucked straight back into a World Cup again. There might be a level of actually, is this impacting performances at World Cups? Because there is just no breaks for these players whatsoever. And that's a lot of football to be played. Now, it's the same with Euros, but obviously it's in less of a kind of pushed to uh, an extreme in the calendar I suppose this is if if you know we're talking about World Cups and if it was this summer we'd be talking about an AFCON and a World Cup within six months and between those two things the you know the kind of end of the the season in terms of, of European football that's a lot of football to be played it feels like we're shoehorning a lot in general in football now we're just trying to it's like anytime there's a little bit of a break we're like let's put some more football in it and I think you're right I think it does impact the the general quality I think it, it impacts the the you know people talking about a lot about player welfare now and I think that that's the other thing that, that I, I don't know if people consider when it comes to the African side of things and it you know it'll be the same for South America and that kind of stuff as well the travel time's mad it's not like a quick two-hour flight on a you know on a plane to Germany it, this is this is long haul flights and also flying in Africa is no it's no easy easy feat either you know like some of the flights are ridiculous when I was covering South African football. You know, when, when Mamelodi Sundowns, for instance, were playing in the CAF Champions League, to fly to, you know, somewhere in Africa, they'd have to fly to Europe first. It was the easiest way to get there. So they wouldn't be able to get a direct flight. It got to the point when, you know, like you've got TP Mazembe. TP Mazembe got their own plane. Like they have, their, they have their own private jet that flies them to and from games because their owner's absolutely minted and he bought them a plane because he didn't want them doing the, you know, the back and mm. forth. It's, it's, it's a really difficult continent to get around. And I think that, you know, look, we've been, all been on long haul flights. How would you feel getting off a plane and getting on a football pitch a couple yeah. of hours later? Yeah. It's no fun. Well, no, no, I'm usually battered by that point. I've had like six bottles of wine. <laughs> <laughs> you probably play better than mine. Yeah, exactly. That'd be, that'd be useful for you. you know, it could get much worse, um, which takes us quite nicely onto number one, Joe. Yeah, can't look past Algeria. They're, they're just ridiculous. Like the way that they've been playing recently, the the, the way that sort of the style of play, the the way that uh, Jamal Belmadi's got them playing is is brilliant to watch. They've obviously got some stupid players, you know, 
I remember before we talk, even talk about the Maras and guys, like I remember watching Saeed Ben Rama in the championship and just going, what is this, what is this man doing here? Mm. Like how, yeah. how is he, how Me is too. he playing at this level? Yeah. And for years as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you just watch him do things to players. You know, like it's, it's not even fair. You shouldn't be, that shouldn't be allowed. You can't do that on a f- professional football pitch. You know, I'd be annoyed if I saw that five aside, never mind <laughs> uh, professional level. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to go back to, I think it's 2018 last time they lost a, a, a real football game. Um, I say real, that sounds harsh. They, they lost in the African Nations Championship, but it's, it, it, I don't know if you know much about that tournament. It's basically, China is a tournament of um, local base players. So it's, it's not the full strength side. So obviously teams like Algeria, who have got so many players playing in different countries around the world, are a, a distinct disadvantage for that tournament. Um, so they lost, they lost in that, um, but that was a, that, so that was last year. But before that, you've got to go back to 2018. October 2018 was the last time they, they lost a competitive game of football with their full strength. Um, that plus 19 goal difference in the in the in the group uh, qualifying for the Afcon as well. And um, yeah, they've just got a just got a really really good side. Um, they've got Bunajar who just scores goals from wherever he is really. And and they're, they're, then they've got that captain of theirs who seems to be pretty good at football. <laughs> Riyad just, our, just, our friend Riyad yeah, yeah. No, he's, I mean, uh, the attacking the attacking options here you just kind of just like list them off and it's a bit ridiculous and so I mean you've got Slomani who we know has scored goals wherever he's gone his record for Algeria is basically one in two um, and then Mares, Bunajar as you say Belay Unas who's back in who's back somehow I didn't think I'd ever see Adam Unas play football again and then suddenly he was banging goals in in the Europa League against Leicester um and then Ben Rama I mean it's it's a, an embarrassment of riches in, in some ways and then I think you drop back from that front line into in midfield and you have Ismail Banasser, right who a lot of people consider as one of the, the best centre midfielders flat in the world and and he's the man holding it all together in the middle there behind that you have Ben Spaini and Atal on the flanks I love Ben Spaini so much Isa Mandy who was at Betis now at Villarreal you know an old school campaigner wily campaigner and you just look at this and think the balance seems to be perfectly right in this squad Joe. yeah and you look at the you look at the, the, the setup that they've got at Algeria and you know, sometimes you see these sort of, again, these golden generations where you have this ridiculous group of players together and things don't don't seem to click, they don't seem to work out. Whereas Algeria, they just seem to get the Knicks right. They, they, they're they incredibly difficult to beat. They're incredibly difficult to score against. And and like I say, when you've got that kind of attacking threat, they can just pick you apart. I, I mean, some of the games you've, I've seen them play, I mean, they're, they're just sticking goals past some teams for like with, with absolute ease. And... and I think when you go into a tournament like this as the sort of, you know, as the reigning champions, there's there's this target on your back. But I I, I just think that they're good enough to, to go again. And you, you don't see that often. It's not something that, you know, you don't really see teams win continental tournaments back to back. But I, I think they've absolutely got what it takes to go all the way this time. Yeah, it feels like this is very much uh, one for them to lose. There are like it's a bit like we, you know, when we talked about certain tournaments, and you go something has to go wrong or someone has to play exceptionally for Algeria not to win it. Yeah, um, it felt a bit, I suppose, like France in the summer, right? That we, yeah, we thought I've... that it, something had to go drastically wrong if they weren't, and it, and it did, right? So that's not saying it's a dead <laughs> cert by any stretch of the yeah. imagination, but it, it did feel like it was theirs to lose, and, and yeah. this feels similar, I think. I also think it's worth noting, and I, I think it's I think it's really nice that 
with Algeria, for instance, they, they have an Algerian in charge. For, for a long time, African football has been full of European coaches sort of trying to impose their different ways on the different sides. Whereas now you look at, at the the tournament as a, as a whole and there's a lot more local coaches involved and that is huge for the continent. It's, it's a massive plus that they're their own people are being entrusted with it and not just being entrusted with it, but going on and, and, and winning it as well. So Belmardi winning it with Algeria, you know, we saw Stephen Keshi, uh, you know, the late, late Stephen Keshi win it with Nigeria back in 2013. And I, I, I think it's so, for me, it's so nice to see uh, local coaches in Africa being given a chance and actually succeeding when being given, when uh, being given that opportunity as well. I think the uh, the main thing really to point out here, I guess, in terms of your ranking is that every bookmaker has Egypt somewhere in their top three favourites. Um, probably that's because Salah's in the team. But what would be your reason for not putting Egypt in the top three? I just don't think they've got the same sort of squad depth. I don't think they've got yeah. the same sort of quality. I, weirdly, you're talking about wild cards, you know, which we'll touch on in a little bit. I kind of put Egypt as my wild card because I don't see them as a as a favourite. I just yeah. the reason I, I say wild. I mean, it's a bit mad to think of someone who's won the tournament twenty four times um, <laughs> as a as a as a wild card vote. But um, yeah, I just I think they're they're a little bit. It must be difficult when you have arguably the best player in the world at the minute on your side. You know, Salah is unplayable at the minute, and I, I think that. There's a bit of a, I suppose a bit of a, an impetus to just get the ball to Mel and not and not really worry about anything else. And you know, I, you know, I remember South Africa beating Egypt uh, at the Afcon in 2019. Um, it was yeah, it was amazing. They beat them in a packed out stadium in Egypt, and um, there was absolute there was absolutely no hope for for South Africa beforehand. They were playing the hosts. They had no Salah, all that kind of thing. And you know, Salah was pocketed and wasn't really visible in that game and I say for me look Egypt have got a, they've got a really good defense they're difficult to break down um I just don't think that I don't think they're the best team in the tournament I, look I don't I don't think that as a, as a side as a squad I don't think that they're in the top three in the tournament no it's totally um, fair yeah yeah with the best player in the in the tournament on your side you have the ability and he's in a difference making position you have the ability to win any one-off game in a tournament yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And that, and, but you may not quite have uh, the full makeup or the squad depth to really feel like a favourite, and that that kind of conveniently places them as that kind of wild card uh, pick. And their coach at the moment is Carlos Quiros, who mm-hmm. is very good at one thing, which is setting up a team that's hard to break down. What he Absolutely. did with Iran was pretty phenomenal, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. now he's dealing with a player pool that is significantly more talented, frankly, than than Iran have ever had and he has the best player in the world on form uh, yeah. I do think that the general strength of Egypt's overall team compared to three years ago and, and five years ago it, it does feel a bit lacking it feels like it's yeah. dropped off of, off a little bit um, but Salah's never been better and they may not have ever had a better coach in the last five six years either yeah. so uh, there's something to balance the argument there but you scroll through those names and they do feel quite familiar Ahmed Hagazi. Still, I'm sure, presumably still racking up the clearances with his head. Uh, Mohamed El Neni, presumably still passing five yards left and five yards right. It's uh, it's a very familiar feel, at least. Mate, don't forget the the world famous Ramadan Sobi, who has actually been back in. He's actually been playing himself back into form. So I, I've been mocked about <laughs> Ramadan Sobi for years, yeah. um, and, and where I was putting him in the chain of, of elite talent. 
the Stoke move obviously didn't go great. Yeah, but he'll be back, and this is his platform. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I think with that, with that sort of, with that, with that kind of talent that you've got in Salah, you you can't write him off. But like you're saying, Sam, they they they've got they're, they're difficult to beat. But if Salah's not on form and they do pocket him, which you know I saw Suisse Atlanti do with South Africa. They can be stopped, and yeah, I what, think that, what else is there? Yeah, it's a bit of the Messi complex, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, you yeah. Know, we saw it at Argentina for so many years that you, you're watching, you're watching Lionel Messi, and you're going, they're going, all right, just give him the ball and see what happens, and you know, then you can triple, quadruple mark him, and then suddenly it doesn't kind of matter, <laughs> and you're like, well, okay, what are you going to do? And, and and that's where teams fall down, and that's I suppose where the flip is to some of these other sides we're talking about, and we, you know, you're talking about Algeria and, and Riyad Mahrez and him being the kind of star player, but sure, but if you if you block Mahrez out of the game, you're going to get punished by someone else. It doesn't feel like Egypt have got quite that level of, you know, ability to to make things happen from outside of Salah right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Especially since Trezeguet, who's usually the other guy they go to, has played about eight minutes of football in the last eight months. Is he um, alive? He got sniped the week, the, the week <laughs> didn't he? <laughs> I think he that might be bad. dead. That was, that, that was bad. I didn't enjoy Goodness myself me. at all. That was um, embarrassing. Joe, it might be time to talk a little bit about an underdog that we can all get behind. There's a, I'm a big fan of an underdog story. Yeah, Joe, also, there is a correct answer because I, I, know, I know who the underdog is. It's, okay. I mean, if, if anyone is not cheering for Gambia in this tournament, I'm going to be devastated. <laughs> um, no, Gambia's story is amazing. You know, they've, they've been trying to qualify for the AFCON for half a century and they've never, they've never been able to do so. And then, you know, they, they're the only team that's qualified for the tournament who actually has played all the qualifiers because um, they had to play in the preliminary ones as well. So they've actually gone, like, all the way through. And not only did they do that, but they, they finished top of their group as well. They finished top of their group even though they had Gabon in there. And, yeah, I just think it's an amazing... I've Also, from a very specific personal point of view, I've had a, a bit of a soft spot for Gambia because of Cherno Samba because of his four appearances, <laughs> whenever it was. Uh Championship manager legend, but yeah, no Gambia's stories. Yeah, it's it's, it's great. They're, they're the lowest ranked team in in the tournament. I think I did check. I think they're 150th in the world at the minute um, in the FIFA rankings. And yeah, Gambia's story is just it's lovely. There's also the Comores as well. First time qualifying for them, uh, which is another nice little story. But for me, for me, Gambia is the is the real underdog for this for this tournament, just because everything was stacked against them. You know, even just qualifying is an achievement for them. Um, and I, I think that that, you know, the idea of, oh, you know, just qualifying, it's, you know, it's kind of done and dusted. Let's not bother with the tournament. But I don't think they'll do that. Um, I, I also think that they, they're a side that um, when you go through that kind of qualification and, and work your way through it from the beginning, you build this idea of like, you know, we've got a chance here. You know, we could, we've already sort of upset the odds. Let's, let's try and take this as far as we can. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, they came close in 2019, didn't they? If I'm not mistaken, I remember watching the hmm. qualification, and there was a bit of a story around them at that point as well. They were just back in the tournament, and and then it was they went all the way, final round, I think, with with Algeria, who obviously went on to win it um, in qualification, missed out by the skin of the teeth. So nice to see that they built on that, as opposed yeah. to uh, that being the kind of uh, well zenith, I suppose. Of, uh, yeah, of what they it was. It, it's also you know before before I came on doing some research about you know when it was. As they, you know, started trying to qualify, and then you look, and as the Gambian national team for the first few Afcons, it just says owned by the Great Britain. 
You know, oh right, yeah, that yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> weren't able to play in the in the Afghan because yeah. they were uh, they were effectively British. Yeah. Is, so what's the secret behind the recent success then? Is it just uh, the most talented squad that they've ever had? Is it uh, the most talented managerial? I, I think selection? it's one of those where, where it's, it's a bit of a culmination. I think that they've they've got a good group of players. They've got um, a good unity in there. And the, and the managers, he seems to be getting the best out of them. I'm not going to profess to be an expert on, on, on yeah. Gambian football, but they, they just seem to, it seems to be one of those years where things have clicked for him. Um you know they they managed to get their their qualification done. Um, if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I think they got it done before the last game as well. So that was that was that would have been big for him to, to yeah. not have to go into that final game going well. We won't we? Um, but yeah, I just think I just think it's one of those years where things have, have come together for him. It'd be nice to see him, uh, you know, kick on a little bit at least at least get a, you know their first Afcon win because nobody wants to go into a tournament as underdogs and then be a real underdog with you know that doesn't win anything. Um, yeah. yeah, they've got. I mean, looking through the squad, they do have three extremely recognisable players from my perspective, at least. Um, Omar Colley at Sampdoria, the centre back. Both the Colleys. Both the oh yeah, the other Colley up front. Um, uh, Ibrima Darbo, who's broken into the Roma setup under Jose Mourinho, and Musa Barrow uh, at Bologna, who is a, a difference making forward. So, I probably would never have been able to say in the past that I recognise three or four Gambian players, but uh, they've got some. They've got some literally top level European league players. Uh, Sidi pow- Sa- Sa- Janko was at Celtic for a bit. That was a that was a thing. He played for Celtic for a little while. Um, so recognise it. Uh, you'll remember that Abrimadaro story that we spoke about when he broke into the the Roma team, and there was all of that. You know, the highlights about his um, his story coming from bit, from being a refugee and uh, and arriving in in Rome, and, and and then going on to play in the Derby della Capitale, and it was one of those. Mm stories that the Roma put out and, and, and massively celebrating so uh, yeah and um, you know that's a it's a really cool really cool little squad this so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, intrigued. I'm intrigued Joe my uh, the team that I'm going to be rooting for is Guinea um, because I am the number one Amadou Diawara fan in the world <laughs> for some for some reason I've really stuck to this one uh, and so I'll be supporting Guinea because I just want nice things for him because I think he's a really good player and I think I think he gets mistreated by his manager this is where we're at don't don't you think in general though there's i I think you look at you look at the the different nations across africa and there is a there is a reason to to like a lot of them you know there's a there's Mm -hmm. a lot of the a lot of them when you look at certain players or certain sort of economic situations or political situations and you think uh, this is from a a non-football perspective but like watching the 2019 rugby world cup final um, with South Africa when they played England, and I'm very much English, but I'm watching that game thinking South Africa needs this a lot more than the UK does, like a lot more than England does. So I was mm-hmm. I was rooting for them just because it was it was it was big for them to to win that tournament. And I feel like there's the you can you can name umpteen teams in the Afcon and say this would be huge for their nation to get a result here, and what yeah. it would mean for them as a as a country beyond the actual football sphere as well. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, just before we go and just before we round this section off, we've got any great stories around AFCON that we can we can end this on because I, I know you've been around this competition for a long time. Uh, probably my favourite one, and it's not really anything to do with the actual football. I, so I, I moved to South Africa in 2011 and obviously the, I first arrived trying to find my feet, that kind of thing. Then 2013, AFCON rolled around. It's in South Africa and I'm thinking, right, I'm going to this tournament. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I go to the Games. Um, and there was a, they were playing in Durban, and I thought, right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go. So I booked myself on a flight, got to you know, 
trying to figure out where I'm staying. And I've been talking to a guy called Dylan Shepard. Sheppy was a former South African national team player. Can't remember how many caps he got, but uh, Sheppy was a big name, played for Sundowns. Um, he's now the assistant manager at Kaiser Chiefs. Um, but I was talking to Sheppy and I said, I'm coming through for for the AFCON. Do you want to grab a coffee? He said, yeah, that'd be, yeah, we can get together. We can grab a coffee. Where are you staying? And I said, well, actually, I'm not sure yet. Have you got any recommendations? He said, no, it's fine. You can just come stay at mine. <laughs> at this point, I'd never met him in real life. We'd spoken over the phone. We'd spoken over messages, but I'd never actually met him. And Sheppy says, no, it's fine. You can come stay, stay at us. I'm thinking, right, this is really nice, but what do I get to say thank you to a footballer um, who's – who's had a very successful career. Um, he's probably putting me up in his in his mansion. You know, I'm going to have my own wing, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I get over. And he's, he's, he's shifted his son, his son, DJ, Dylan Jr. He shifted DJ out of his bedroom. So, because he's got he's got a few kids, so they're taking up the different bedrooms. He booted his, his his young lad out of his bedroom to give it to me. So I'm staying I'm staying in DJ's room, and literally, I just live with the family for a, a week and a half while I was oh going to go. Was that great or awkward? I can't. Work it, this it was out. amazing. Oh, Sheppy is genuinely lovely. His his wife is incredible. Like the family, the the kids. Within about like three days, they were all sort of talking to me like I was a member of the family. No, it was brilliant, and that. It was my first experience of seeing a proper African, you know, continental tournament. You know, going to going to Moses Mabida and listening to him to him singing Shosha Loza and yeah, just I, the, the, that. But that first Afcon of mine will be a, it's an experience I'll I'll never forget. And you know, obviously, it, it was a, a big tournament with with Stephen Keshi winning winning the tournament as a as a Nigerian local. Um, resigning the day of the tournament after he'd won it, then deciding he wasn't going to resign anymore. It, it was just like the perfect introduction. It's like, welcome. Yeah. This is this is what the AFCON's all <laughs> about. What, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. That's amazing. That is so fun. So, yeah. so fun. Uh, absolutely amazing. Um, well, Joe, thank you so much for, for sharing your insights, for sharing the stories. Um, and we're looking forward to this tournament so, so much. Um, just probably worth you pointing out to our listeners where they can find you um, and your coverage across the course of this tournament. Yeah, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be covering the AFCON as much as I can. Um, as a Sheffield Wednesday writer, there's, uh, we unfortunately don't have any representation in the tournament. Um, but yeah, I'll be covering the tournament. You can get me on, on Twitter and uh, Facebook. It's at YesWeCran. Uh, you can find me on there. Uh, so I'll be posting as many ridiculous clips from the AFCON as I, as I hope to because it's always so much fun. There's always stuff in the AFCON. I'm just hoping we get someone doing the Robert Kidiaba bum shuffle at some point just in, you know, because I feel like it's, it's something we should have in every AFCON. Even when the DRC aren't there, someone has to do it. Just you know, out of respect. I was hoping that I was hoping that Niska's Cabano was going to be able to to, to fulfil that role, but unfortunately didn't qualify. <laughs> so um, it's, a, it's a shame. But Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure. No, thanks for having me. It's it, it's it's amazing to to you know get to talk about African football again. So uh, it's a uh, it's a continent that's got it's very very close to my heart, and I will be following this tournament with uh, with massive interest. And fingers crossed, we've got plenty of uh, plenty of goals to look forward to, and we can do a whole wrap up of it after the tournament. We can talk about how amazing it was. Absolutely, we look forward to it. Look forward to it. <laughs> Welcome back to Ranks FC. The first thing to do is to say such a massive thank you to Joe. That was so, so interesting. I've learned an awful lot. Sam, you and I were speaking on Monday's Patreon about the fact that we were excited about learning. And I feel educated <laughs> uh, after that period with Joe. But Dean, it's time for everybody's first, first melon of 2022. Or is it a last melon of 2021? 
Well, that's it. I mean, a lot of people are messaging me in the last few days saying this week's, the first Melon of the Week is, is very easy. It's Lukaku, but I'm not doing a Melon of the Week this week. It, we are looking back. So if you want to hear me talk about Lukaku, if you want to hear all of us talk about Lukaku, we did do that in a lot of detail uh, on Monday on Patreon. Um, so go and join our Patreon. Uh, start off the new year right. Go and sign up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not supposed to be an ad at all. That's just come out. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I'm going to do, uh, yes, the big award. The big award. Are you ready? Yes, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. It's time for Melon of the Year. <laughs> the 2021 Melon of the Year is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. <sighs> now, his bad year began back in March when he did, in fact, win Melon of the Week. He turned up late and he was dropped. Then afterwards... He left the stadium instead of going through the drills that he was supposed to be going through with the other subs. You might remember this, and it was reported that you could hear his Ferrari revving up and driving off. You could hear that from inside the ground. Like, (laughs) this was a big story at the time. And it was the first signs, really, and the first time it was being reported that Aubameyang has this issue with sticking to, to keeping with timetables. Anyway, look, he obviously wasn't the first. At that time, like Arsenal players were winning Melon of the Week every other week. So it wasn't that strange. Especially for foul throws, though. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it. And there was also Bernd Leno. You know, he made a couple of clangers around that time. I remember him getting it. I think Arteta got it. Anyway, then in August, um, Aubameyang was back in headlines for the wrong reasons. And there was friction between him and Arteta leading into the season. And that was because... Um, Aubameyang, again, had some bad decision-making this time around COVID protocol and, and really angered um, Arteta and you know, potentially affected the squad going into the season um, with oh, definitely did, yeah. decisions-making uh, around, around that. So that was not a good decision. Did he and host then, a party? <laughs> yeah, I think he hosted a party. I'm not sure how much of it's been reported, so I'm going to be a bit careful about what I can can't say. But yeah, Um for the time, it, it wasn't a wise decision, I can say that much. And then anyway, he ended the year by turning up late, um, of course, back from a trip to see his mum in France, um, which, you know, that's fair enough. You know, there, there are certain aspects to that that I feel sorry for him. Um, you can't... Indi- individually, this is not the worst. No, in an I- as an isolated incident, this definitely didn't wasn't that bad. But because of those two incidents that I mentioned already, and there are others, that frustrated Arteta, frustrated other people around the club. It was the final straw. He was stripped of the captaincy. He hasn't played for Arsenal since a five-minute outing he got against Everton a month ago. And now Arsenal are trying to sell him. They're trying to find a buyer, try and find someone to take his 350 grand a week wages off of them. When, when Arteta arrived at Arsenal, Aubameyang was the main man. This team was supposed to be built around him. He was supposed to be the star of 2021. He was the melon of 2021. And he won't be for there for much longer. Well, it's, it's kind of mad, isn't it? Because how, how good Arsenal have been since yeah, they're he's been out of the better. side. <laughs> they're now very, very good. And, and you're looking at that going, oh, okay, that's not a great look. No, it Considering it's your star player, he's your cap- he was your captain. And then suddenly he's dropped from the team and Arsenal vastly improve. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, well, it's, it's not what you want if you, if you are Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. But maybe a fresh start will uh, help him again. So, Melons uh, United, he can join. 2022, fresh starts for everyone. Even Melons of 2021. 
gibberish along. First gibberish of 2022, Sam. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. First one of 2022. I mean, usually I'd be looking at some kind of New Year's resolutions or something, but that's going to have to go on ice for a week because I don't know if you've heard, but on Friday I'm getting married. I had heard that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ring you on Thursday singing, "I'm you're getting married in the morning." From I think it's my fair lady. Um, you know, I'm going to just sing it to you for an entire. I'm going to ring you about eight times and just sing it. I'm not available on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm getting married. It's my it's my wedding at the end of the week. And uh, look, as many of you will know, having got married or not, you will have just heard uh, planning a wedding can be somewhat laborious. Um, and so I have ranked the three most laborious parts of planning a wedding. And uh, I've left out the fact that there's been a pandemic underlining the entire thing, because that's just a given at this point. This wedding is one year late uh, to the day because we had to postpone it due to the first or second or third outbreak of the virus. I forget which one we're on now. Oh, we're in the middle of another one, by the way, so that's cool. Um, but I've left that out and I'll go straight into number three which is organizing what you are going to wear on the day. And this uh, this applies to the bride and the groom. And everyone else. <laughs> and, well, no, you should be fine. You should just have a have a suit. Um, no, I had to get but, a new suit. It's yeah, your course, wedding, mate. Of course you it's did. Your yeah. wed- it's course, your wedding. Of course you did. You know. Um, but, my, yeah, me in particular, it took me, well, it took, not me, uh, it took the shop that I had chosen about six or seven weeks to accumulate all of the items that I would need for myself and my two best men to wear on the day. Uh, six or seven weeks. Bear in mind, they own all of the clothes, right? That's the, uh, They're like, oh yeah, we have to get it from other branches. Seven weeks. Appreciate there's a pandemic, but this was a real a real problem. And I kept ringing them a couple of weeks after I'd gone in with my best men. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, it would have been God. quicker. It would have been quicker, yeah. Uh, we went in for like a fitting uh, with my two best men and we got all the measurements down, got it all sorted, picked all the styles, picked everything. And she go, and the lady who was very, very helpful to her credit was like, leave it with me. Um, she couldn't ring me because I kept missing the calls and I kept trying to ring the store. And for two weeks, they did not pick up the phone. Did not pick up the phone once. I got to the point three weeks later where I turned around to Rach and I said, did I imagine going to that shop? Because I currently have no evidence that I went I've no suits, I've no receipts, I've no emails, and the phone just keeps ringing, right? Is it even a real store? I'd started to doubt myself to the point where I thought I'd imagined going and hiring a suit. I didn't hire it, I bought it. Uh, but eventually, I went, I went back into the shop. Five weeks later, I just walked in and went, do you remember me? Straight up to the woman, do you remember me? Did they say no? Because that would have been hilarious. <laughs> they went, uh, trying to assess the danger levels in my eyes, I think. Um, I was I was kind enough. I was like, look, I haven't been able to get hold of you and I'm really worried that I don't have any suits. And then she took me into the into the back and showed me every single piece. She, oh yeah, I've got it all. It's right here. I was like, oh, thank God for that. Five weeks of worrying and never mind. It was There's okay. No need. There was no need at all. But you know, you know how your mind starts to work. Well, there. yeah, it's also really dumb not to answer the phone and at least let you yeah. know that you're six weeks out from your wedding and you might be getting married in your pants because. Yeah. As it stands, there's nothing. You could have worn your Ranks FC shirt, mate. It'd been fun. That's, no, that's very true. Ranks FC shirts and pants. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Rach, to be fair, Rach had problems with hers as well. She got her dress sorted ages ago, but she had to take it to a seamstress. Just a little bit of an adjustment to make it fit better. And her, her appointment to pick it up got cancelled five times in a row <laughs> over the space of about eight months. It was a nightmare. Anyway, that's what you wear. Uh, in at number two, 
unbelievably, and this is just because Rach is the most organized person ever, all of the thank you for coming to my wedding cards have already been written. <laughs> now, I had assumed this would happen after the wedding. Uh, believed it was going to be the case that we would wait to see who turned up mm. and then thank them for coming. No wasted effort, no wasted energy. But no, they're all written, every single one, because Rachel wants to put them on the plates uh, as we sit down for the wedding breakfast. So oh, everyone's well. got a card, which is a really nice idea. But I've had to write like 25 thank you for coming to my wedding cards a week before the wedding. And trust me, that shit gets boring. Uh, there's only so many ways you can say thank you for coming to celebrate our big day with us. Uh, there's only so many ways you can change it up and make it interesting before you basically send yourself to sleep. Mm. So I've had to do it in three shifts. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> I, makes just, sense. I just had to take a breather halfway through. Also, just, your hand can't handle that kind of writing these days, can it? Who writes? No one. Hey? I don't know how you ever did like exams at school with a pen and paper. Well, um, I still, I still write. I still write everything out manually. Oh, I man. do write notes, but never more than two or three words no, at a time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just my, uh, just yeah, just that. So can't write poems on a phone. You have to write them. You have to write them. <laughs> yeah, that's pen. very true. Yeah, I presume you've got a nice uh, quill with a feather. I do have a, yeah, feather quill and some ink. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's the second most laborious part. The most laborious part for me, anyway, in my situation, was the seating plan, which I think has changed. Mm. 40 times or something ridiculous. I'm not sitting next to Jack, am I? Yeah, I was going to say, please say, I was about to say the opposite. It's quite no, rude. I'm, um, I'm obviously joking. I, I don't know if I know anyone else, so hopefully we're sitting near each other at least. That's I, I honestly can't tell you because there have been so many versions. At certain points, you have been sat next to each other. At different points, you've been on opposite sides of the room. It's oh, changed dear. so many times to make allowances for certain things. And we have we'll to just change it. We'll just swap them. Yeah, like, I've done this at many, many weddings I've been to. I've walked into the room beforehand, sit in the seat and plan, move myself next to someone I like, and that's that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I did tell Rach that, so it's yeah. what it is. But uh, yeah, we, we, we even had to change it this week because uh, someone from, from overseas couldn't make it to the wedding. So we had to bustle someone in as an extra, uh, a uh, sort of 93rd minute replacement. And then that meant that they had to, Change the seating plan. So Do you yeah, tell those people they're a ninety-third minute replacement. Like, it's did, a bit like mad, did, isn't it? Like, oh mate, do you want to come to our wedding on Friday? But like, mm, I reckon I maybe haven't got the invite first time around. <laughs> I didn't mention, uh, I didn't use that terminology, but I think they're aware. They're aware. Uh, I think they're just happy to come, uh, but we still need to see if they can book Friday off work. That's the problem. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's been a real problem, and um, the seating plan has changed many, 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 many times. The worst part of it has been there are two people coming to my wedding that I don't like. It's not you two, um, but there's yeah. two people I don't like, and so when you go through and you look at who could sit next to who on every single occasion with every single other guest, Rachel has gone. Well, what about this person to go next to X? And I go, I couldn't do that to them. <laughs> and then what about oh, go and sit next to Y? Couldn't do that to them either. And I ruled out every single guest. I like all of my guests, other guests, too much to sit them next to these other two people. Well, so they're on a table of two somewhere. <laughs> well, well Rachel. Rach superseded me uh, and just ended up putting them somewhere. And two unlucky they're next souls. To, now they're next to me and Dean. <laughs> We've got a table of four, me, Jack, and these two. X Absolutely. Great fun. But it Great was that, fun. that was genuinely a lot of consternation. Me not wanting to put some of my friends through the, the horror and the misery of sitting next to X and Y. Wow, can't wait to, 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 to me 
and Jack are going to have a competition now. The we're going to decide who, these, who these people are. And we'll, yeah. say, we'll announce it on next week's pod if next we got it right. Pod, we'll get their names or not. All right. Yeah, excellent. I'm happy to reveal the answer to you privately. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. Right, on that bombshell, I think we're going to call this a day, lads. Um, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Good luck on Friday, Sam. Thank you very much, and good luck to our soon-to-be-married man, Mr. Sam Tai. Yeah, cheers, buddy. Appreciate it, and I'll see you guys on the the big day. I'll see you on the big day, absolutely. Not even on the other side, on on the day. Um, Right, I've been Jack Collins. Thank you also to Mr. Joe Cran, who came in with a wonderful AFCON preview. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we will be back next week, probably talking transfers. Take it easy. Peace.